I have a large scar on my arm from a wound that I got when I was attacked a few weeks ago. Uh, it's the worst I've ever had. Uh, might take months for this one to heal. Um, I've been told it may never actually heal fully. In fact, I have countless scars on my body. That's why every time I teach, I always wear pants. But this one here, this one, this one really, really hurts. Man, and the guy that hit me was as angry as I've ever seen. At this point, though, I, I guess I shouldn't be totally surprised because everywhere I go, I seem to end up in the middle of a riot. Some people are injury-prone. For whatever reason, I seem to be riot-prone. You know, all this has been recorded by my, my good buddy Luke, who wrote this down in dramatic and exciting season in the start of the church, a group of people committed to the way of Jesus. Now, this collection of writings that Luke wrote down is called the Acts of the Apostles, but I really think it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because there's no way we apostles could have done any of this if it weren't for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke liked to record his own writings, uh, how often I get in these types of messes. I was joking with him last week, can you imagine a summer vacation Bible school curriculum with the theme of my life called the life of Paul? I mean, think of the themes that we could have each day of VBS. You know, Monday, shipwrecked. Tuesday, beaten with rods. Wednesday, robbed. Thursday, imprisoned. Friday, martyred. I mean, parents, doesn't that strike joy and excitement in you to send your kids off to VBS this year? Luke thought that was pretty hilarious. But I digress. You all learned about another riot that happened in Jerusalem, which I believe you all heard about last time you all saints, all you saints gathered together here in this large room devoted to athletic activity. I think, what do you call it in your language? A gym, a gym. And I think you heard it through a pastor named Doug. During the previous riot, the one that happened in Ephesus, I did not get the chance to speak to the crowd. This is the one where a riot resulted, 25,000 Ephesian uh, locals were chanting uh, their love and devotion to the goddess Artemis for two hours. But this time, after the most recent riot, this one in Jerusalem, when I stood to speak, everyone got quiet. And when they heard me speak in Aramaic, their own language, they really quieted down and listened. They hung on every word that I said. I told them about my past, and maybe you've heard the story before. I used to be zealous for God. I was trained by a Pharisee under one of the best teachers known named Gamaliel. Uh, not to brag or anything, but I had my stuff together, or at least I thought I did. I loved hunting down and torturing and imprisoning Christians. Uh, they were defaming the name of God. I just, uh, they were telling this ludicrous story about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, he claimed to be God's son, and I had to do something in the name of God. I had to defend God's name in that situation from such a horrible, ridiculous claim. I couldn't just sit around and do nothing. Until one day, a dramatic thing happened to me on the way to the city of Damascus up north. I was on my way up with permission to arrest a handful of other followers of the way. But it was this interruption that changed my life, I told that crowd that day. I told the crowd about this intense light that shone down from the sky. 
and the light it was brighter than I had ever seen before. It was so strong, it blinded me. It was worse than if you had stared at the sun for five minutes. In fact, if I think about it, my retinas burn in just imagining that day. I can still remember how painful and overwhelming that light actually was. And as I'm rubbing my eyes, this booming voice I hadn't heard before from the skies called out my name, which freaked me out, but didn't just say my name once, said it twice, and then asked a question that startled me. Why are you persecuting me? Me? I thought, who is this me? And I learned it was Jesus Christ Himself, the very one I was persecuting. And I told that crowd that I was scared when I first heard the voice, but over time I was deeply comforted because I saw later how God had orchestrated the whole thing by His grace to have other brothers, especially Ananias, to come and help me. Oh man, he must have been scared out of his mind to come to me. I mean, I would be. Ananias is sent to come talk to me when I'm persecuting and trying to hunt down his brothers and sisters. And God tells him to come talk to me? That's a bold move. I'm grateful that despite his worry and anxiety, he was obedient to God to come and help me. Now here's a picture Ananias took of me when I was in my hospital bed. He posted it on his Instagram account, Freaky I Know. Uh, it did get over 12,000 likes though, and uh, his handle is Ananias6792 if you want to follow him. He's worth following. He's legit. I continued on and I told that crowd and I said to God that I couldn't share about Jesus with these people with all that I'd done already. I was a marked man. Nobody would trust me anymore even though I had done a complete 180. I mean, I'd have a hard time trusting me in that situation if I were them. But God said, it's okay, it's okay. I'm going to send you to people who aren't Jews, who live really far away, and they won't really know your story. I can still use you, Paul. Ah, God's grace is so amazing to use someone for His purposes who had done such evil things that I'd done, including be the consenting voice in the death of the saint named Stephen. And as I think about it, it still grieves me that I was a part of that. I carry it heavy on my heart still to this day. And that crowd, they were still listening to what I was saying. But once I told them that I, I went to tell about God's saving rescue plan for the Gentiles, oh man, they were not happy. They shouted that they wanted me to die. And oh man, was it intense and it was violent. And the Roman commander and the soldiers around me just couldn't figure out why people were so stinking furious with me. Why they wanted me dead. Those soldiers grabbed me and not knowing what to do, they freaked out a little bit. They strapped me down to whip me thinking that that would force me to tell the real reason of the uproar and why it started. But I had nothing to hide. I didn't do anything wrong. And I said to them, are you sure you want to do this to a Roman citizen, something that's illegal for you to do to me without a trial? They didn't know I was a Roman citizen. They freaked out. You know, the last thing law enforcement wanted was to have proof, proof that they were harming an innocent man. No government likes to have footage come to the surface of corporate law or corrupt law enforcement wielding their power unjustly. That would have started a riot too. Now once they heard that I was a Roman citizen, they backed off. They got scared, knowing that a video goes viral when something like that happens. 
you should have seen the look of terror on their faces. So at this point, I was sent to the high council for more questioning. They still didn't know why everyone wanted me dead, but I was going to tell them, dang it. They were going to hear it from me, and I wasn't afraid to tell them. Now, by the way, here's a selfie that I took shortly before going to the high council. Hashtag selfie sticks are awesome. Hashtag chill face. Uh, I stood uh, before all these highfalutin people, and I told them that I had a clear conscience before God. And then some joker told the people standing next to me at the time to slap me across the face. And when they did that, I turned to that leader and I pointed to him and I said, I told him point blank, I said, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. And there was a gasp in the room. A bunch of people turned to me in shock and said, Paul, that's not how you talk to the high priest. That's the high priest? That's the high priest? Seriously? Mea culpa. I did not know that. Forgive me. I should never speak of someone in authority the way I just did. My passion sometimes gets the best of me. I had stuck my sandal in my mouth. I should never have said that. See, the courtroom was full of Sadducees and Pharisees at the time. So I told them that I was once a Pharisee, and because of that, that I believed in the resurrection of the dead. And boy, did that whip the room into a frenzy. Since the Pharisees believe in a resurrection, but the Sadducees do not believe in resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Sorry, really bad joke. But seeing the room divided into passionate argument, I have to admit, I kind of liked it. I kind of like to see them all charged up. But then it grew more and more violent. People were yelling and screaming and about to throw punches. It was so loud. All the shouting and the pushing and the jostling, it was tense. Because the commander feared that another riot would break out, I told you I was riot prone, he commanded several soldiers nearby to take me by force back to a secure location. And without their intervention, I'm convinced that would have been the last of me. And while I was sleeping, the Lord came to me in a dream. Now, I I know some of you here have a hard time believing that God can do that kind of thing while you're sleeping. Show up in your dreams. You think it's a bit too weird that God would do that, partly because maybe some of you in this room have seen people abuse stories about that. But I promise you, He came to me in a vision. He came to me in a dream while I was sleeping. No doubt about it, clear as day. And He can come in your dreams too if you truly believe that and want that. And in that dream, God revealed to me clearly that I should be encouraged. Just as I was a witness in Jerusalem, I would also one day preach the good news in Rome. Rome, Italy. I'd be going to Rome one day. Then if it weren't for my nephew, I would have been a goner. That following morning, my sister's son caught wind of a plan. Forty conspirators had made a pact. They so wanted me dead that they said they wouldn't eat or drink until I was dead. They told the religious leaders, yeah, the religious leaders, to tell the officials that they wanted to ask to have me transferred for further questioning and I needed to be sent somewhere else. The plan was that during the transfer back to court, these 40 conspirators would be hiding out in the bushes and would jump out and ambush me and kill me along the road. 
Can you believe that? These thugs were in bed with the religious leaders. And what have I done wrong? I've done nothing wrong. I owe my life to my nephew because he went to the commander and told him everything and the plot was foiled. And when the commander learned of this, he commanded that 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, and 70 mounted troops were sent to protect me. Almost 500 soldiers surrounding me as I rode on a horse to the governor Felix. That's how you protect a king, not a prisoner. But I knew, and they knew, I was riot-prone, so just in case. And I was sent up to Governor Felix, who lives in the impressive city of Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea, right on the coast. The commander sent an official letter explaining the confusion around my trial and the emotion, the intensity around everything that happened. And that was up to Felix. The trial was in his hands. And they placed me in the headquarters of King Herod. Yeah, 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 that King Herod. And things got really intense. But I'm quite used to the intensity by now. And I said, bring it on. Bring it on. Five days later, I was spending five days uh, in the headquarters of Herod's palace. Five days later, the high priest Ananias came up from Jerusalem to Caesarea to speak against me during my trial. And so-called eyewitnesses accused me of being a troublemaker who was constantly stirring up riots among Jews all over the world. Yeah, right. I'm not the one stirring up riots. They're stirring up the riots. I'm not doing anything. They said I'm a ringleader of this cult called the Nazarenes. Plus, they made, some made up some nonsense that I brought a non-Jew into the temple. Totally not true. I would never do that. I told them they sit on a throne of lies. And I admit that I'm a follower of the way of Jesus, the risen Christ. Now, fortunately, Felix was familiar with the way. Unfortunately, he's got some really bad hygiene issues, but he was familiar with the way. Now, Felix dismissed us as he needed more time to ponder my case. Unfortunately, during this time, Felix gave me some flexibility in my imprisonment. I was able to have visitors, which is good because I was lonely. And they were able to bring me some food and drink because prison food is terrible. Chipotle steak burritos with mild sauce and guacala. Felix and his wife, Drusilla, with a name like that, I bet she was made fun of in middle school. But Felix and Drusilla kept asking me to appear before them with a, in a private audience. The truth is they wanted me to offer them a bribe so that I would get out of prison. They kept the door open for me and just said, hey, is there anything you want to do? We can arrange some things. And I wouldn't take the bait. This happened for two years. And over two years, I wouldn't take the bait of a bribe, but I just kept telling them about Jesus. Until eventually, after two years, Felix, the governor, was succeeded by another governor, this one named Festus. Now, if I remember right, I believe that Festus's political campaign was Festus for the rest of us, if I remember. Then he had better hy hygiene than Felix, but unfortunately he looked more like a 60-year-old Victorian woman who just left the hair salon than a powerful ruler. 
When Festus took over, the religious leaders wanted me sent back to Jerusalem, where they had another plan to ambush and kill me along the way. But Festus told everyone that I was staying put. I'd be right here for this trial. I'm not going anywhere. If they had an accusation, they could come to Caesarea and make their case there. It seemed that Festus had some chutzpah. About a week later, Festus held court and I had to stand trial. And as the Jewish leaders decided to come to town after all, to Caesarea, to speak against me, and I told them I'm not guilty of any crime. I've told them this over and over again. No matter how much they try to accuse me, there's just no proof. And Festus asked me right then and there if I wanted to go to Jerusalem. No, absolutely not. I'm not going to Jerusalem. This is an official Roman court here, and I will stand trial here, dang it. I told them that he knew I was not guilty of doing anything wrong against the Jews too. If I'd done anything wrong, I told him, anything that deserves the death penalty, fine, kill me. I don't care. But if I haven't done anything wrong, then no one has the right to turn me in to do something I, I didn't do. I told him, I said, I got nothing to lose. I follow Christ. If I die, well, I get to see Jesus sooner. If I live, well, I get to tell more people about Jesus sooner. And so I upped the ante. I pulled out the trump card that has always been available to me as a Roman citizen. I appealed straight to Caesar himself. Yeah, I did it. I stuck it to him. I demanded I go straight to the top, which is in my legal rights as a Roman citizen. It was the way that I could guarantee that I would actually get to Rome like God had told me in my dream. It was the way that I could get to see Caesar. Now, I've never seen him before. He did invent a pretty tasty salad that I enjoy from time to time, but I will get to see him now with my very own eyes. And I was going to go before the Supreme Court of Rome. Caesar himself, the decision maker. Festus was taken back by my response, but he sighed deeply and said, all right, to Caesar you'll go. At least I was out of his hair. King Agrippa arrived to meet with Governor Festus, and Festus told Agrippa about me and the conundrum he was in, asking me what he would do. He wanted to seek out wise counsel of how to proceed forward. Agrippa was intrigued and said, you know, I'd really like to meet this Paul guy. And he said, fine, tomorrow you'll meet him. So the next day I stood trial before the king and his wife Bernice. The apostles can't believe all that I've been through and that I'm now standing before the king himself. God keeps opening door after door after door for me to be able to talk about Jesus in the most unlikely of places. I don't mind. I really don't. The only thing I mind, the shackles on my ankles aren't so bad. It's the ones on my wrists that are really becoming cumbersome. Agrippa gave me the signal to begin sharing, so I did, and I started in on my story again, which I just explained to you. I went in on the whole spiel. I was on the road to Damascus, which my buddy Luke recorded in his book of Acts, which I think was in chapter 9. But I told him, I'm on trial now because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. They accused me of having this hope in the risen Christ, and I told him, that's exactly right. Right? 
I said that the message, the good news of Jesus, is that if we repent of our ways, we rethink our way of living and turn to God, which is what I had to do in my own life and doing my own 180, but if I rethink that, we enter into a new way of life with the Messiah. This was my calling to announce God's light to Jews and to Gentiles alike. At this point, Festus had had enough. He told me before everyone else that I had just gone mad from all of my studies. Much like an intellectually brilliant person does sometimes when they're just become mentally unstable. He thought I literally was not thinking straight in my right mind. He told me what was the exact wording. Oh yes, he said I was insane. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm thinking as clearly as I possibly can. And I turned to King Agrippa. And I said, King, I know that you know what the prophets said about the coming Messiah. Well, Agrippa wasn't really happy about that. He didn't like to be put on the spot like that. And he said to me, do you think that you can persuade me to become a Christian that quickly? I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, um, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen everything else the Holy Spirit's done in my life? Yes, I do. But I didn't say that out loud after the incident that I had of insulting the high priest a little bit earlier without knowing it, I thought I'd be a little bit more diplomatic. So I said, whether quickly or not, I pray, King, that God would, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in the audience might live a life in every way like me. Well, except for these chains. At this point, everyone left the room. The king, his wife, the governor, and I learned that in the hallway that they talked it over and agreed that I hadn't done anything wrong. Especially nothing that would deserve the death penalty or being in jail. King Agrippa leaned over to Governor Festus and he said that if I hadn't appealed to Caesar that I could have been set free and out on the street right now. But how else was I going to talk about Jesus in Rome? I had to get there. If this is what has to happen in order for all of Rome to hear about the good news of the risen Messiah, Jesus Christ, fine, sign me up. I'll do it. It's my, life, my life's call, and I'll embrace it. Can, can, I, can I share with you all very vulnerably in ways that I haven't in my letters with other groupings of God's saints around the world? You know, I talk as often as I can about Jesus and the power of the resurrection from the dead, but I want to share some things that really bother me personally as a human. And there's some misconceptions that saints all over the world have about me, and maybe you have these same misconceptions about me, and I'm hoping maybe I could clear the air here a little bit in the midst of this story that my friend Luke recorded. The first is this. Everyone thinks I'm a theologian. I'm not. I'm not. At least that's not how I think about me. If anything, I'm a charismatic. Do you notice how much I talk about the Holy Spirit? Do you notice how much I write about Him in my letters to different churches? Do you notice how much the Spirit has enabled me to do all sorts of things? Do you know this whole mission of the early church 
happens only because of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, we have no mission. And that's why my buddy Luke, that's what he's trying to portray in the book about the Acts of the Apostles. Luke talks about the Holy Spirit throughout the whole book of Acts. One of the things I mentioned to Luke, as I said, Luke, of your 28 chapters of your book, do you realize that every chapter but two, you talk directly about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's everywhere in his book. It's because he has to be. We can't tell the story of the church without the Holy Spirit. And the second thing that really bothers me is this. So many people think that I'm always just trying to come up with some other risky adventure that I can go on. I'm not seeking this out. I'm not trying to one-up the previous adventure with something better. There's a lot of people that just think, well, that's Paul. He can do that. That's him. I mean, I'm not Paul. I'm not, I'm not that courageous guy. I can't do that. And they think that somehow I wake up every morning and I, and I think, oh, what can I do next? Sure, I've got some wild adventures, but do you know what an adventure is? Do you know what technically an adventure is? An adventure is a commitment to a journey where we don't know the future. Every adventure you go on is a commitment to a journey where you don't know the ending. You don't know what lies ahead. That's an adventure. I know what lies ahead for me ultimately. I'll end up in Rome. I will die. I will see Jesus. That I know for sure. And I know that because the Spirit made it clear to me through other people multiple times and through my own dreams and visions that God has given to me. I know that because the Spirit, making it clear, that's great. But there are so many uncertainties that exist between now and my death. I don't even know if I'll be a part of a riot again tomorrow. But I'm not seeking it out. I'm not saying, what riot can I start next? I'm just being committed to Jesus in the journey without knowing what's next. I don't wake up and say, what adventure or adrenaline rush can I find today? Instead, I ask, how can I make the commitment to follow the Holy Spirit, to give the Spirit more access in my life, to represent Christ, to tell people about Christ, and to make sure they know that I'm motivated and they can be motivated by God's amazing love for them. That's what I'm committed to, this adventure. I'm committed to a journey with Jesus, no matter the cost, even though I don't know what lies ahead. And the truth is that you don't know what lies ahead either. Even when you think you're in control of your own destiny, saints of Renew, you don't. Now trust me, the adventure of trusting in Jesus whose life, death, and resurrection changed my life is the best, most amazing adventure you could ever enter in. People of Renew, saints, if you've committed to it, and I tell you, commit to it even further. Give Him more access. Whatever you're holding on to, that you say, God, you can have all this, but you can't have that, give it to Him. It's the best decision you ever make, and you'll find yourself on some more adventures. And if you've never done that, I can think of no greater time for you to do it than today. And that's what I'm committed in my life to doing. 
telling others of this amazing, expansive, radical, enticing love of God that came at the climax of the person of Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah. Well, thank you all for allowing me to be a guest teacher here this morning. I love touring around and encouraging and teaching the saints all over Asia Minor, and now this being my first visit to Lansdale. If I write you all a letter in the future, I think I'll write it first Pennsylvanians, or maybe first Lansdalians, now that I think about it, and maybe future letters too, so be watching for those. But it's great to be among followers of the way, the person of Jesus and the Messiah, to meet other family members and brothers and sisters like you all. Be encouraged. Join in the adventure of being committed to a journey with Jesus even though you don't know the ending. Now, I know you Americans love to know the ending. You love comfort. You love security. You love predictability. But I'm telling you that if you are in Christ, your identity is not found primarily in the country of your origin. Despite what the culture says, you should feel around you. Your identity should come in the fact that you are God's kids. Live into that identity, saints. All these adventures, the hardships, the imprisonments, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the going without food, the almost freezing to death, even the scar on my arm. Totally worth it. They're all worth it. All of them. So take my story and be inspired. You can follow me, but don't follow me ultimately. Because I'm not following me. I'm following Christ. So if my example helps you a little bit and you begin to follow in my direction, know that I'm not the end game. It's not ultimately about me. It's about Jesus. You know why? Because my life is not about me. My life is not my own. And your life is not your own either. It's about Christ and, and Him only. And I can't do anything to follow Him, and neither can you, without always remembering how amazing God's love is for us and by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, as I close, saints, I'd be honored if I could pray for you all at the Renew Community. So let me pray for you all at the end of my teaching. And thank you again for letting me be a guest here. Father, you know that ever since I first heard of Renew's strong faith in the Lord Jesus and their love of God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking you for them. Glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give your spiritual wisdom and insight to them so that they might grow in their knowledge of you. I pray that their hearts will be flooded with light so that they can understand the confident hope that you've given to them. I also pray that they will understand the incredible greatness of your power for those of us who believe in you. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Father, may your glorious, unlimited resources empower renew with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in their hearts as the saints of renew trust in you. Lord, make their roots to grow down into your love and keep them strong. And may Renew have the power to understand 
as all your people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep your love is. May they each experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And when this happens, I know that they will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you, Father. And now, all glory to you, God. For you are able, through your mighty power at work within each of us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for letting me be with you all this morning.